And this is View of the Valley's podcast, episode 21, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing? Oh, I'm really happy to be here, as always. Excited. We're just another week closer to college basketball season. And uh, weather hopefully will finally turn for good here. I know we're real exciting radio that we talk about uh, the weather from time to time. But, uh, you know, it's... I love this time of year, you know, when the time changes, also we know we're really close to basketball season. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, as you said, you know, we're that much closer to college basketball season. Um, little, I get kind of depressed around this time of year. I mean, the college basketball season really helps me, you know, get motivated again. But I just can't stand, you know, I leave for work, it's dark. Get home for work, it's almost dark. And there's just you don't get to see much sunlight anymore when you get home, and it's it's kind of depressing. Yeah, but we're gonna spend so much time indoors with basketball season anyway. Practice oh. officially starts for college basketball Division One tomorrow because we're recording here on Tuesday, October thirteenth. And uh, you know, just happy that things are finally moving in that direction. I get concerned because you see, you know, NFL like Vanderbilt. You know, postpone their game with Mizzou after they only dressed, what, 56 guys this last weekend. Yeah. And you worry about that happening to your basketball team because, you know, you get COVID. Well, two weeks, we're done, boys. You know, so. But, well, yeah, I again, mean, we're just that much closer and the news is rolling in. Schedules are getting kind of finalized, even though it doesn't seem like it's happening fast enough. It's still happening. Yeah, we have, uh, there's multiple, uh, multiple things we can talk about uh, this week. I know. Saw a tweet from Jeff Goodman that the OVC uh, kind of finalized their conference schedule slate, so they're going to have 20 games. Um, and some of those multi-team events were released. I saw Southern Illinois playing in one, which we'll get into later. And then we'll uh, we'll mention the uh, the Greg Marshall discussion that we've seen, you know, on social media, some of the news sites. We'll get into that. And also, Marcus Wilson, um, MVC, color commentator, and Evansville Basketball Hall of Famer will join the show to talk about his time as an Evansville player and basically everything Missouri Valley Conference uh, basketball related. But first things first, TJ, uh, the OVC releasing their uh, their schedule. Jeff Goodman retweeted it, or tweeted it saying that they are going to play 20 games so that basically means that, you know, what's that going to give them four or five non-conference games then? I, I think five, and they can get a total of seven if they play in an MTE as well. So, you know, where do they get those games? We know SEMO and Indiana State are supposed to play each other because Indiana State's released their schedule completely, or at least as far as uh, Coach Lansing knew at the time when we spoke. Uh, sure. like, like he said, <laughs> it could change tomorrow. You know, like A.W. Hamilton said, it could change by the time we get done talking. But uh, – you know, I imagine they'll stay. They'll they'll keep the game with SIU Carbondale, the home and home. I think it's it just makes too much sense. It's one of those easy drive there, play, drive back if they can. You know, instead of having to stay in a hotel, you kind of keep limit your exposure, so to speak. Sure. And I know some schools are going like, hey, we're gonna go till Thanksgiving, and then don't come back till February. Yeah. You know, just for the regular students. So. It'll be interesting to see how that impacts it. I imagine those basketball players are going to be pretty bored of each other, though, at those schools. We're like, wow, there hasn't been anyone at school for two months. Oh, yeah. Two and a half months. You know, like just seeing other people will be pleasant. But and you probably I mean, that's where you kind of have to, you know, pick your poison. You know, do you want to have a college basketball season or, you know, as a college basketball player, do you want, you know, the full campus there? Do you want to be able to, you know, still go out and, you know, party or socialize? Right. You know, which would you rather do? Yeah, and probably, you know, they're not allowed or it is strongly discouraged that you're socializing or partying. Exactly. You know, so who are, like who else are you going to hang out with that isn't going to? Yeah. Well, how did you get how did you get COVID? The only people you've been around are us, your classmates, and going to the uh, lunch halls to eat. Um, but none of them none of them have tested positive of it. Right. It was probably on something. You know, the guy sneezed on me at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, when when these schools will start. You know, filling their non conference. I know we talked about it last week, but the D one Dockets uh, put out a tweet today 
saying that I think I it was Louisiana was the first school to release their non-conference schedule with, you know, since all the restrictions or whatnot. And I think if I looked at it correctly, they had four non-conference games. And one of them was basically a home and home with New Orleans. So, you know, they're trying to keep things close. Right. And I think another game is against Louisiana Tech. So they're trying to keep games basically in state to, you know, as you said, minimize the travel. Right. It'll be interesting kind of the impact that this has on, you know, uh, numbers when they're looking at putting together the NCAA tournament come next March. I, you know, it's was it going to hurt those mid-majors worse or, you know, will it help them that they're getting those wins? Who knows? So but Jeff Goodman has a really good uh thing put together on stadium's website that he's putting together all the mtes saying he's uh, updating them almost daily so went through today and looked at some of the mtes that the mvc and obz schools are playing in so hopefully i feel that we can talk about it but it could change yeah. it could change significantly um, <clears throat> you know something happens you know like uh, siu it sounds like they're going to go to louisville but you know, something happens between now and then. I think they had it scheduled, Jeff Goodman saying, between November 25th, which is that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, to December 4th, which is the following Friday. So how many games do they get in? Do they get three games in in that time frame and just you know keep them there and spread them out? Classes start for some schools. Again, they, you know, they start back up after Thanksgiving to get ready for finals. How does that impact things? I just I don't know. It's it's so many moving pieces and it's not like the NBA, Major League Baseball or any of those other professional organizations where you know they have control over it. It's just each team has their own set of uh, issues to deal with, so to speak. Their own hurdles, their own hoops to jump through. But speaking of that MTE, TJ, uh, what all teams are in that uh, Louisville uh, bubble? From what I saw a couple hours ago from Jeff Goodman, Louisville, UNC Greensboro, Winthrop, Duquesne, Little Rock, Southern Illinois, obviously, and then Prairie View A&M. So those teams aren't exactly close to Louisville. I mean, Louisville's kind of central to them, but Prairie View A&M, Texas, Winthrop, the Carolinas, Duquesne's coming from Pittsburgh. You know, it's kind of a, a stretch, it but is. it feels kind of centralized at the same time. So depending on how many games they're going to get in, I guess, you know, three or four, whatever it may be, um, the, those mid-majors especially, those should be pretty good games. Right. But for Louisville's sake, I'm not sure if, I mean, Greensboro's, they've been able to compete with those Power Fives in the past. But at this point, it's kind of what you would expect from like a Power Five non-conference schedule. They're trying to get some lower schools on there and then some upper tier mid-majors to try and just prepare for conference play right i did notice that kentucky did not invite evansville to their multi-team event supposedly i'm shocked i can't i can't imagine why not yeah, i don't know why why, why not you know <laughs> i guess i guess they wanted to put that in the past and not relive it ever again <laughs> i guess they probably felt you know when we lost to him last year they did not get a win in conference, conference play. play yep but the Evans, but the Kentucky win was good enough for the, for the season. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the people of Evans will feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll take that whole thing back. <laughs> if if you could go, ten and eight in conference play, but not have the Kentucky win, I think I'd probably take that. That that'd just be me. Oh, Maybe I'm others sure. Evansville fans out there that disagree. I'm sure. But if you if you were to ask. Uh, just an average college basketball fan who, you know, maybe just follows the big schools and, you know, right. doesn't exactly follow, you know, MVC or whatnot. If somebody says, <clears throat> give me a fact about Evansville from last season, they're not going to say, oh, they went winless in conference play. They're going to say, oh, they beat Kentucky. Right. And then they may not even know they finished right. with a losing record. It's kind of like uh, Buster Douglas. What did Buster Douglas do? Well, he defeated Mike Tyson, knocked him out. Yeah, but he didn't have. I mean, his career, that was kind sure. of it. Yeah, you know, that was kind of it. It's uh, the is that the sports equivalent of a of a one hit wonder in music? Ah, oh, could be. Maybe we, maybe we should have put that in Urban Dictionary. I don't know. That's that's kind of a good point. I, I like that. But Evansville's obviously had, you know. But if you're oh sure, you know, it's kind of like Aerosmith has only had one number one hit. So by definition, they're a one hit wonder. But look at all the other great music they put together. 
you know, so that maybe that's Evansville. Like, hey, we can, if you know music, you know basketball, you know how great of a program Evansville has been. Ah, uh, you know that. You know that, but yeah. that's the one thing that stands out to you. Oh, and people will remember that for a while too. You know, and not to sleep on what hit wonders either, because I think Mark McGrath, you know, of uh, of musical fame, said, you know, if we were one hit wonders, that's pretty high up there on the achievement, you know, list. Like, there's other people that wish they were one hit wonders. So. Yeah, that's kind of that's a good uh, good thought. Just making great analogies tonight. It's... <laughs> yes, that's what this <laughs> show's about. Um, but uh, recently, this past week, uh, you saw that Greg Marshall news come out, right? And before before you say anything, I just want to put two cents out there real quick. Um, he's been there for a long time. I think since right. 2006 or 2007, somewhere around there, you know, took him to the final four in 2013 has had nothing, nothing but great success at Wichita state. I mean, most winningest coach ever at Wichita state, um, took, took them from the Missouri Valley from being a premier team mm-hmm. to transferring them into, uh, the American now. Right. And you know, the, they compete in there too right. and winning records. They right. get to the NCAA tournament consistently. And whether or not any of this is true or not, I definitely would not have expected anything to even come about like this just because he's he's an icon at Wichita from an outsider looking in, like you know, we are. And I just I find it hard to believe. I really do. But see, I wasn't surprised at all. I, I, I can, I th- can see those things happening. Well, I know he's got like a, he's tougher on the players for you know practices and stuff from what you've heard. Right, but, but just you know, uh, had a uh, friend that used to work at Enterprise Center, and he was a security and just talked about the way that Marshall treat. Like there was one year they got upset. I think it was in the semifinals or maybe it was even on Saturday, and just throwing an absolute <laughs> tantrum. Um, you know, pounding his fist on the table. This is what you guys wanted. You know, like the the conspiracy was out for him and stuff like that. And then uh, was it, I don't know if it was 2016. It may not have been that far back, but they took a, had one of those exhibition tours that they went to Canada. They had, it was their turn that they could, you know, have some extra games. And that's when he absolutely lost his mind is out there on the court, just berating the official. I did see that. And stuff video. like that. So I think when you, Well, on the first one, someone I truly trust. And the second one, you have video footage of it happening. You're kind of like, yeah, I can can see those things happening, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it. I mean, it's, I guess I could see it happening, but did I see this coming? No, just because you hadn't heard anything Mm -hmm. about it. And with him being there so long, you know, you would have thought players would have, you know, quit the team had it happened during that, you know, stretch of time. But then the one area that really stood out to me, you know, you know, in the last four to seven months, players were transferring left and right out of Wichita this past, this past year. And I'm like, what in the hell's going on there? They've they've had such a storied program and, Right. I think that's kind of what got this rolling. That's my understanding is that when with that six or seven players left school this last spring, and that's when kind of like, okay, what's going on? You know, you have a winning program, you have a storied program. You know, like you said, they went to the American Conference and had significant success there. Why are these guys leaving? You know, and, you know, it turns out that maybe, you know, and I think not to put all college coaches in this category, but I don't think it's uncommon that the person that's trying to convince you to come to their school and then the person that's trying to push you to be a better basketball player, a better team player are not necessarily the same person. Sure. You know, the one's a salesman convincing your parents, Hey, you know, I'll take care of your kid, but then you get there and you're not, you know, it's what, for whatever reason, it's not clicking for you that, that, that doesn't quite feel like the same person. And we've talked about it before the suggestion I've had for kids that are going on recruiting trips, no matter what the sport if you don't play this sport in two years, are you still going to be happy at that school? You know, like, so you got to think like, all right, you're going to go to Wichita State. If it doesn't work out, 
can you stay at that school? Is that someplace you're going to want to be? You know, so I always encourage kids like talk to the guys at the end of the bench that yeah. don't get to play. Are they happy? You know, because that's that's a big deal. Oh, you're, yeah. you're used to playing. Even the worst guy on those teams played a ton of minutes in high school. Yep. Was one of the best players on his high school team, and now he has to accept this rule where I don't get to play. You know, and obviously the transfer rules have changed. Been very loose this year. Well, and you know, talking about the the players that have transferred out recently from Wichita, you know, it was it was kind of all in that same month timeline to where uh, I guess Stadium did their it was I guess it was like a sixth month investigation. Mm-hmm. But that was that all would have been in the same time frame when players were transferring. Right. So it's kind of like, well, maybe did some of the players catch wind of hearing some chatter going on yeah. like that? And that's why. I don't know. Interested to see, you know, where this investigation goes, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. Because I, I guess Wichita State University is doing their own internally. Um, but, yeah, I I was just kind of shocked when it when it came came about because you hadn't heard anything about it. Yeah, and then his statement was a typical public relations statement. It said a lot without saying anything. He didn't deny it, didn't confirm it. You know, it's just one of those things that just you know, it was kind of didn't didn't move the 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 bar at all. Yeah, well, and then in the in that I guess article from Stadium or that. How, you know, call it press release if you want, or just the article about the investigation itself. Mm-hmm. It said they, I thought, like interviewed or contacted like thirty-five yeah, players yeah, or coaches. Stands out to me, and I said only two refused to to talk with them. That's what I saw. I, I don't remember where I saw the tweet, but well, the only like two names were basically stated in that in that write-up. But then, like, if you're if you were on Twitter, you know, a couple days later. or what have you there were you know former players saying that you know he coach marshall is nothing but respectful to them he did nothing to um you know like talk down on them yeah they said his his coaching uh strategies i guess are a little bit different you know he's hard on you you because he wants to try and get the most out of you which i think a lot of coaches do and want but it just kind of made you think well Okay, they they asked thirty five players in this. Obviously, most of them didn't want their name out there, mm-hmm. which I mean I can understand. Um, but then there were also other players and former assistant coaches that said they never had an issue with him and couldn't see him doing either of those things. Right. Which was I guess punching that player and supposedly choking the assistant coach. Right. But I'm a. It, it's going to be a. It's going to be a weird time at Wichita probably over the next yeah, handful it, of months. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of this internal investigation what, or, you know, whichever organization that Wichita State chooses to use to investigate themselves. Uh, obviously, uh, I think it's the Koch brothers is the way they pronounce it, that, you know, two of the richest dudes in the world. And they've been big backers of Wichita State and fans of Greg Marshall's, which has been a big benefit for him. But, you know, there's some feeling that even those guys can't save him now. Well, if, if, I mean, I think to, to me, probably the most potentially damning piece of evidence, if they can uh, verify it, is the issue with Shaq Morse. That, sure. That if he punched a kid after, you know, when he's walking, it doesn't matter that he's walking away, that you punched a kid. You know, I think that's the most significant one to me. Well, it's I'm just kind of looking looking forward and seeing well how how is this going to affect Wichita is this going to be uh is this going to affect basically their play like is this going to be a distraction leading up to their games are they gonna I mean they could they could fall flat on their face you know with because with all the distractions you don't know how much you know is coach Marshall will he get pulled away from you know practices or whatever at certain times for you know certain reasons you know, it, it. Yeah. And regardless of what's found, it's going to damage the program long term. Because, you know, think of it from your own perspective. If you were going to school, how much would your mom be like, yeah, you're not going there? I don't care if I have to pay for you to go to school someplace else. You're not going there to play for that man. You know, because it's what grabs the headlines. You know, it's the old saying that it takes a lifetime to build up a good reputation, but seconds to ruin it. That's, yeah, very true. 
And as you said, it's a headline. You know, some people don't read past the headline and even look in to see, well, did it happen? Could it have happened? Or, you know, did it? Yeah. You know, so we had Coach Lusk on, you know, what, about a month ago. And I had the opportunity, you know, went to the same high school and saw his dad coach him. He had retired by the time I got to high school and then came back by the time I'd retired as a player because <laughs> it was too short and too slow. But, I mean – on the sideline, he was very animated, red in the face, on officials, stuff like that. And we could go on and on about stories about him. And the first time my parents went to a game, they sat far enough away that my mom couldn't hear what he said, just saw the way he acted and said, my son's never going to play for that guy. And then as time went on, my dad convinced her to go to a couple more games. They got closer and she heard the message instead of the way it was delivered, you know, and like, oh, okay. And then had an interaction with him personally, just the two of them, my mom and this and, and coach Lusk's father and, you know, talking about different things and got to know him on a personal level. And then she's like, she became a fan of his despite, you know, her first impressions. But if you go to a game and just see the way the person acts on the sidelines without taking in the message or not knowing the person, it, it that's, that's what sticks with you. Yeah. You know, fair or not. That's the impression you leave with somebody. Yeah, you're right. But we'll see what happens with, with uh, Coach Marshall in Wichita State, you know, in the coming weeks or, you know, could be months. But with that, we'll go ahead and bring you the interview with Marcus Wilson as we caught up with him earlier in the week. And we are joined by Marcus Wilson, former University of Evansville star and now MVC color commentator. Marcus, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, take us back to how it all started for young Marcus Wilson. What sports were you interested in, and how did that lead to a college basketball career? Uh, I think like most kids, I played a little bit of everything out in the yard when, when kids used to play outside. Um, and so we used to play baseball and played, you know, t organized t-ball, but played football and basketball all the way up until my seventh grade year. Um, I know a lot of people have heard this story, but I'm the youngest of 15. And so uh, when I was in seventh grade, my dad had a talk with me and said, hey, look, son, we're not going to be able to afford to send you to college. We're not going to be able to, you know, get college loans. And But you're going to college or you're going to the military. So uh, <laughs> I suggest you drop football and we just start focusing on basketball. You're going to get a basketball or academic scholarship or both. And so uh, I, I kind of wanted to keep playing football. And then we started two-a-days. Uh, and it was like hot. I remember it was like a 103. And we were about to have two a day. And I was like, man, you're right. I'm done with this football stuff. <laughs> and I just started focusing on basketball. And that's what happened. I mean, I was kind of short and chubby. And, uh, and you know, I, I, was a, I was always a good shooter. And then I grew between my eighth grade and ninth grade. Yeah, that summer, I grew four and a half inches. I went from like 5'9", 165 to 6'1", 165. That definitely helped. And that's when I kind of started to, you know, really awesome. And then, you know, that's what kind of led me to Evansville. Well, your senior year, uh, it was still under the old one-class system in Indiana. You were playing at South Bend Riley, if I remember right. You, yep, yep. you win a sectional your senior year, which is the first round of the state playoffs for you guys over the defending state yep. champ. How special was it to win a sectional? I mean, it was awesome because uh, South Bend Clay had just won the state title the year before. Had some great players the year before. Lee Nalon, who I'm still friends with, Jerron Cornell, who played at uh, you know Lee, went on to TCU and led the nation in like rebounding, scoring and rebounding. Uh, Jerron was a really great player at Purdue uh, the year before. And so my senior year, uh, Jerron was still there. Lee had graduated. And so to beat them, those guys were my friends. I knew we all played together in the offseason. I hung out together off the court. So it was really good to beat them. And I thought that was just going to be our ticket to the Final Four. And then we lost in the regionals to Elkhart Central, who was in our conference. So at the end of that year, Clay finished first. We finished second. Elkhart Central finished third in our conference. And they upset us in the regionals and went on to the Final Four, uh, which shows how strong our conference was. Our third best team went to the Final Four. I think they ended up losing to Maryville. Uh, Maryville, I th and they ended up losing to Ben Davis with Damon Frierson and Courtney James had a really good team. But, yeah, I mean, it was good to beat that team, uh, South Bend Clay, because, like I said, you know, when you're in high school and you got a lot of friends playing against each other, and they were top three in the state all year. Uh, and they had beat us twice earlier in the year. So uh, that was a really good feeling. 
So Evansville joins the Missouri Valley Conference. How much of a role did that play in your college decision to uh, end up choosing Evansville? It was huge. I mean, it was. If they weren't in the Missouri Valley Conference, I don't think. I don't think I. There's no. I'm not even considering them. Um, I had got some looks from some bigger schools. Like I remember Purdue had said, you know, they were thinking about offering me, and then they didn't, and said I could come walk on, and they would probably offer me my next year. Um, Providence was looking at me. Xavier was looking at me, but they were all saying like you would come in redshirt, or you, you know, really start getting some significant minutes your junior year. And I wanted to play right away. So it was really between Evansville. I think my final three was like Western Michigan, Butler, and Evansville. And I was just telling someone a little known story about this. Was you know South Bend is uh, it's an awesome town. I love my hometown, but it's a significant amount of crime and. Uh, there was that some some had happened. I think it was like some guy thought that I was like trying to, you know, his girlfriend ended up liking me and not him. And this dude was like in the streets and what it was that he, him and his gang was going to try to, when they saw me, they were going to try to beat me up. And they were saying that they were going to uh, try to hurt my leg so I couldn't go play or something wow. like that. And word got to me. And I just remember thinking like, and this is a dumb reason. Like, this is so crazy. This is why I, and one of my final decisions, uh, I mean, reasons for going there uh, was I just wanted to get a little bit further away from South Bend. I I wanted to go to Butler originally, and then when that happened, like a week before I was about to have to leave, I just, uh, well, not before I made my decision and stuff, like I was just kind of like, I want to get a little bit further away from home and decided to go to Evansville instead of Butler. So your first three years at Evansville, team hovers around 500. Then your senior year, you guys take off going 23-10. and 10. You win the regular MVC season title. What was it that was different about that team your senior year? Uh, it was one clear thing. It was a lot of times when this question like this comes up, people give you a generic answer. I know exactly what happened. Like When I got to Evansville, uh, Coach Cruz used to have this this. Uh, this kind of saying that said those who stay will leave as champions and prior to my senior year everybody who had came to University of Evansville for at least four years had won some type of conference title uh, in the Missouri I mean the MCC um, and going into my senior year we hadn't yet you know like you said we were an average team for most of my first three years um, and that summer like Kurt Bailey and I were named captains and I just, I just took it personal. I just, I remember saying like, I'm not leaving here without a championship. I don't care what has to happen. Um, we even like, even over the summer, like we would work, and Coach Cruz would say, you know, you guys don't have to stay after and then play pickup as long as you do weights and the conditioning. And we would get done with weights and conditioning, and I would literally tell my team like, no, we're gonna go play. Well, Coach said we didn't have to. I don't care what Coach said. We're going to go play, and we're going to play best out of five. Um, and that's what we're going to do. And the freshmen just really had no choice. You know, obviously, I've seen I had led my team, led the team in scoring for the last three years, so I had a little clout, and Kurt supported me on it. And we made the guys work, and I tried to finish first in every sprint. Um, and we just worked, man. I mean, we were preseason six. They feel like we outworked the five teams ahead of us um, in terms I know I did I put in extra shots every day like I said I tried to win every sprint I made the team stay after and do extra work um, and you know when you when you're in close games and you're tired and you look over and you see your opponent tired and you think about all the extra work you put in I know there were multiple times where I remember thinking like I know you didn't work as hard as me this past summer I know you didn't and it was it just gives you that extra confidence to finish strong and I think we just outworked people and went preseason safe to winning the, the uh, just about outworking people that summer. So during the 98-99 season, it was also the first year your Aces team made it past the first round of the MVC tournament. What emotions were you experiencing heading into your first Arch Madness title game? A lot. You know, I, I was happy to be there, but wasn't you know the job wasn't done. And so I was still really focused. I wanted to. Uh, one of my dreams as a child was not only to not only to go to the NCAA tournament, but I always wanted to be on uh, one shining moment. 
I used to cry <laughs> as a kid when one shining moment came on, you know, and like, because it was done with the season. And so there was no way I could get on one shining moment if we didn't get to the, you know, to the tournament. And so like, I wanted to get to the tournament so bad. I didn't know if we were going to be able to get at large if we lost. Also, I don't know if you remember, Rodney Buford was a really good player. Um, we had split our regular season uh, matchups, uh, like in terms of they won one, we won one, we beat them there, they beat us at our home. Um, I had had two really good games against them. I think I had like 31 the first game and 28 the second. And I knew that there were scouts in the building. And so I wanted to win. I wanted to play well in front of the scouts. Um, he and I were the best two players in the conference, and so I always took that person on, wanted to play well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it was just a lot of emotions building up and making one to get to the uh, NCAA tournament. Now, obviously, they ended up beating us, um, and they had a really good team that year. They ended up beating Louisville in the first round, I believe. Um, but, yeah, it was just a lot, of, a lot of emotion built up and hoping to solidify our spot in the NCAA tournament. I read recently that you put your highlight of your, your senior year, probably your college career, is the last game, regular season game against Missouri State. You hit a three to tie it, and then you hit a three to win it in OT. What made that so so special for you? Oh, man, that's, you know, surprisingly, I think that when people ask me my favorite game in my, in my career, that that's the favorite game. Um because it was senior night and you couldn't draw up a better script than to we were playing against what was then Southwest Missouri State, which right. is now just Missouri State. And Steve Alford was the coach. And I knew a lot of those guys too. William Fauntler was from Gary, which is near South Bend. Kevin Alt was on their team who I played on AAU teams with him in high school. And um, I knew a lot of those guys. And we were at home and we were I think we were 12 and five. They were 11 and six. So if they would have beat us, we would have split the conference title. Uh, if we win, we end up winning the conference by two games. And so to beat down three with what, like 20 seconds to go, I ended up hitting a three, sending it to overtime. And then in overtime, I think we were like down one. And um, I shoot a shot from the baseline that hit every part of the rim off the top <laughs> of the backboard. And, you know, and it was just like, I just remember it felt like it was in slow motion, um, that shot bouncing around. So be able to hit the three, to send it to overtime, hit the three to win the game on senior night to clinch the conference title. And like I told you the story about those who stay, those who stay will leave as champions. You know, to be able to do that at home uh-huh. in front of the fans that supported us so much and to win in that fashion, that's my all-time favorite college moment. I can imagine. It really kind of made your, you know, get that number one goal off the, off the top that way and in an exciting fashion it has to be a huge yep. memory yep it, it was it's definitely my favorite college moment and like i said all that work that i had put in and we had put in over the summers and the extra shots and and everything like you know it was just it was it was electric and so i, I i'm grateful for the fans that you know we were sold out that night it was like eleven thousand people in the stands and so you know, I, I look back on that and I see like Evansville's getting like five thousand five hundred people right now, um, and I just wish that some of those guys got the experience that I got to be able to play in front of ten, eleven, twelve thousand people at home. You know, it was it was it was awesome. You guys earn an NCAA at large bid that season and face Kansas in the first round. You score eighteen points in the first eight minutes in the eventual loss. Is that the game you're asked about most, and will you ever get tired of talking about it? Uh, it is the game I'm asked about most because it was on national television and it was the NCAA tournament and it was against Kansas. Like I just said, my favorite moment is senior night winning the conference championship at home in part because of how 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 we won it with, that, like I said, that the two threes at the, the end of regulation and overtime. But at the end of the day, we won. You know, and so I was. that's what makes it the best memory. Kansas was awesome just because you know, again, I wanted to kind of show NBA scouts that I was, I thought that I could play in the NBA and playing against Kansas in the first round. There was no better school to do that, or, you know, doing it uh, against a blue blood. And so, uh, yeah, I had 18 points in the first eight minutes, finished with 34, but we ended up losing. And so, it's, you know, I, it's bittersweet because I do feel like I put on a, a good show and people saw that I could really play at the highest of levels. 
Um, but we ended up losing, and uh, you know, I I talk about it just you know. I to be honest, I I still I think I watched I watched the game for the first time about two or three years ago, and it was just one of those things where I just I never like to look back because I feel like if I look in the rearview mirror too much and I start to think about how good I I used to be, that it, it'll take a little bit of drive about away from what I want to continue to be. But finally, I kind of sat down and kind of like enjoyed the moment of, you know, just seeing, you know, something that that special playing NCAA tournament and having that type of game against a blue blood. There's a moment in that game, because you guys are playing at the Superdome in New Orleans, that all of a sudden the crowd starts booing for no apparent reason, and it turns out it's because Lester Earl was playing for Kansas and was instrumental in getting uh, sanctions for LSU. Do you remember that happening in the middle of the game and trying to figure out what was going on? Oh, yeah. I knew I knew it was going to happen coming in because people have been talking about it. Um, you know, because when you, when you play in those games, you get down there a couple of days before, you have practice, and, uh, you know, we kind of had heard about Lester Earl coming back home, being from Louisiana. I knew that the, he was going to get some booze. I didn't know it was going to be like that. I think everybody <laughs> in the Superdome booed. Like, it was unreal. And I'm talking like when he was at uh, at the bench, you know, get right. in. Right. And then every time he touched the ball, boo. And it was just like, man, I, I, you know, I knew the story behind how he kind of got LSU. Well, I wouldn't say he got LSU in trouble. He was part of that uh know part of that story but right that had to be difficult for him um but obviously i, I didn't let it i didn't let it affect me i kind of thought it was funny and you know just kind of went on with the flow but I, I definitely remember what you're talking about yeah i don't know if you realize this because you like you said you end up with 34 points the game before that kansas had played against i believe it was oklahoma state in the big 12 title game they only gave up 37 points so here you come in score 18 points in eight minutes and finish with 34 that I think that says something to you because Kansas was no slouch when it came to defense that year. Yeah, man. Roy Williams said that, uh, and I don't know if he was just saying it to be nice, but he, I think after in the press conference, I think he said I was best that year. Um, it was it was ironic, man, because after if you remember, it was it was in New Orleans, like you said, and it was right around spring break time. And so after we lost, we went out. You know, our our hotel was nearby. Bourbon Street, and we were walking up and down Bourbon Street. It was packed. If you've ever been there, I mean, yes, it was absolutely. completely packed. And we and we, uh, we ran into the Kansas guys, and you know, they 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 came up to me and I was like, "Hey, man, I, coach told us you was good, but man, you you were awesome." Like like four or five of their guys like literally came up to me and like shook my hand <laughs> and kind of gave me dap. I was like, "Hey, man." you the real deal. And, like, that made me feel good because, you know, they're playing on the Big 12. They're Kansas. Right. They play against ballers night in, night out. And so for them to take time to come and say something to me and say, man, like, you are the real deal. Like, yeah, that that, that meant a lot. You know, I kind of kind of gave me the confidence that I could play at the next level. Um, it didn't work out in the NBA. I had, like, three tryouts with, like, the Jazz and the Bucks and the Knicks and whatnot. But, you know, primarily in Europe. But I felt like I could play. And it was just sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. I just didn't get lucky in that next level. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a special moment. After that season, you have an extensive professional career for several teams in at least nine countries. What was the experience like, and what advice would you have for others as they pursue the game overseas? Uh, I mean, it was life changing uh, in a lot of ways. It's being able to play the game you love for money, um, and then just like this, uh, there, there's so many things that. Um, changed my life. I tell this story, and I know this isn't 100% basketball related, but I, I took off in 2000, uh, 2000, uh, 2001. I took off from here, uh, from from America on September 10th. And with the time change, um, I got there at like, it was like 2 p.m. Um, France time. I was playing in Paris. And so I landed about an hour hour and a half before the attacks on, on, on the Twin Towers on 9-11. And so when I get to practice that night, I had landed, take me back to my apartment, I change up, whatever, I go to practice, and my, my teammates are like, Marcus, Marcus, they, they knocked down the big buildings in New York. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? You know, the broken English, they didn't know what they were talking about. I hadn't, I hadn't been around the TV to know what was going on. And so I go back and I see that. I say all that to say, like, that year, I had the best experience of my 
probably career. I had awesome teammates. And what was ironic about it, and like I do a lot of diversity work now um, at my current job, but what, what was ironic about it was I had a lot of Muslims on my team, like French Muslims, because, you know, like at the time, you can only have two Americans on a team. And so then you had to have, the, the rest had to be national players. And so although they were French, a lot of them were from African countries who were colonized by France, uh, but they were living, so they had French citizenships. And man, like they invited me to their homes. We had family style meals. They showed me around the city, taught me French. I mean, just just embraced me. I mean, with, you know, just, just showed me a lot of love. And then I got back to America. And I don't know if you recall, like there was just still a lot of tensions towards Absolutely. pretty much anybody Muslim or Arab. And... It was like it was this kind of narrative that this is what that uh, this is what those type of people were like when I say those type of people Muslims and Arabs and it just was not the experience that I had like not at all like I would have lived there uh, had I not had a son uh, and it was just you know it just really started to teach me about how to embrace cultures have an open mind when you're meeting people don't go off of what the media says give people your own give people them the, the, the uh, opportunity themselves to show you who they are. And so um, I guess my advice, the second part of your question would be to just to, to live that if it's kids, uh, young players get a chance to go over there, you know, there's a lot that can be learned over there. You know, I was kind of disappointed I didn't make the NBA, but in retrospect, you know, I, I, I took, I didn't, I didn't travel as much as I would have liked. I mean, I traveled just from country to country to play, but even on my weekends off and stuff, I didn't travel as much as I, would, I should have done that more in retrospect, but just embrace the cultures. You know, I lived in Turkey, I lived in Venezuela. Uh, Italy, um, Ukraine. I mean, I got so many stories. I got held hostage in Ukraine. Uh, like there's, but all the, all, yeah, all these things. Like I, I, I learned so much about people. It opened my mind about different cultures, religions, ethnicities. And I mean, I'm so grateful for that now because I think I have a, a little bit wider and larger perspective on, on people and life than other people may have, especially at my age, because of the experiences I had playing in Europe. So you go overseas, basically, you know, you're getting paid to play the game you love. And I know you said you didn't travel as much as you would have liked to maybe on your off days. But with you being in so many different countries, was there like one memory that kind of stands out like on one of your off days, like maybe a city that you were in or maybe like your favorite place you went to? Man, I, I wish we could talk about this forever. I know we can't, and we want to try to do it at a decent time. But I mean, I, I can't, I can't name just one. I'll give you a, I'll give you like a brief, twenty to thirty second summary of some of my top ones. Um, I asked my wife to marry me on top of the Eiffel Tower, which oh, wow. I would give any guy, yeah, because I was playing in Paris at the time. Um, and I would give any guy this advice: don't do that because you can never top it. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing else you can do to top that. Uh, just kidding. But no, I mean, I, I thought that was awesome. Uh, my son was born in France, so he has dual citizenship. Um, like I said, um, I went to Ukraine and played well there. I replaced the player towards the end of the year. They were struggling. They're about to move down and be relegated. Uh, we were on like seven last eight, missed the playoffs by one game. The team decided they weren't going to pay everybody. They came in after the last game and said this was unacceptable results for this season because they were normally a top team. Um, and I'm like, you know, he's obviously not talking to me. Y'all were in like second to last place when I got here. We just finished, you know, tied for eighth, but the other team had the tiebreaker. And so, you know, I'm thinking I did my job. I was like 21, five and five. And they decided not to pay me. And then when I said, uh, then they said, all right, well, we'll let you, you know, then they, then they wouldn't let me leave. So I tried to get my, I tried to get a ticket out of there. And I had one of my Ukrainian, let me take a step back. They asked me what I signed to come back the following year. I said, no, uh, not right now. Uh, my mom had passed during that season. And so I was like, I just need to go home and just kind of just reset. So when I said I wouldn't resign, uh, they, they actually, uh, my team was ran by uh, Ukrainian mafia. And one of my teammates called the travel agency because um, it was in my contract that they were supposed to get my ticket home. They didn't do it. I was like, forget it. I'll just pay for it on my, on my own. So my Ukrainian teammate called some travel agencies. Each time they, they put in my passport number and be like, oh, You've been, and finally we figured out that they had called and like used their mafia ties to not allow me to leave the country. I literally oh. called the U.S. Embassy and was like, hey man, y'all need to help me. And they were like, unfortunately, until they physically harm you, we can't do anything. You know, you can try to make it here. I'm like, 
Well, by the time they physically harm me, it's going to be too late. You know what I'm saying? Like, these guys obviously aren't messing around. And, like, each night had, like, a little black car out front of my apartment, make sure I wasn't leaving. Like, it was scary, you know? And so, eventually, I, yeah, I figured out a way to get out of there. I'll tell you how I did it. I went in there about after about two weeks and gave them the elephant tears. And it was just like, you know, just started bawling in there. I'm 30-something years old. Like, please let me go home. And, you know, it was just, they were like, all right, well, you promise you'll sign when you get back there. So I was like, man, you know, my mom died. I just need to go home and be with my family. And they are like, all right, well, when you get home, we'll give you a couple of days to sign the contract and send it back. I was like, I promise. And obviously I did not sign to go back to that crazy place. Um, <laughs> why, why not? Um, I, I, mean... <laughs> I think the last... Uh, uh, experience I would tell you about that stands out is one of my former teammates, Kwame James, uh, was playing in Argentina one of those years. Um, I think this was 2000. And the Argentinian market crashed. And so all their teams kind of went bankrupt. They weren't getting paid. He was getting ready to go home. Like I said, you could only have two Americans on a team. And my American, the big guy on my team, because they usually get guarding the big, the big guy on my team got cut. I told him about Kwame. I was like, man, he's a free agent right now. He's in Argentina. We have a good chemistry. I wanted to help my team make it a job. So he comes over. We're playing together. And uh, it was right before Christmas break. We were getting ready to go home. I remember we, we went out. We lost a game, and we went out to a party uh, in France that night. And he goes outside, and he says, man, I don't think I'm going to come back. And I'm like, why? I was like, man. We lost the game, so he, he didn't play very well. And I was like, man, don't worry about it. Man, we're living the life. We're over here in Paris partying tonight. We're playing professional basketball together. Like, you know, like, get over it. You know, like, man, and he was like, nah, man, I just, I'm just not feeling it. Well, anybody that knows Kwame and that story, well, the flight he got on was the flight with Richard Reed. And so he was the one that tackled the shoe bomber, which is why we all have to take our shoes off now. Wow. And I, did not know that. I landed... I landed in Detroit. As soon as I landed in Detroit, his girlfriend calls. My wife is there to pick me up. His girlfriend, well, my girlfriend at the time, she's not my wife. And Kwame's girlfriend calls, and she's bawling. She's like, did you see what happened? Kwame's fighting. I couldn't hardly understand it. And I turn and I look on the screen, and I see that his flight had got redirected because there was a attempted shoe bomber. No, there was attempted bomber. Now, mind you, this is after 9-11. Right. The kids were still hot. And so... You know, I ended up talking to him later on that day and told me the story of, you know, like FBI, CIA, DA came on the plane and told me about the whole thing, about how he tackled the shoe bomber and how he had to get the brief by, you know, people in the, you know, in the CIA and stuff like that. And so that, that night just always stands out as well that, you know, he was saying he wasn't sure about coming back and then that happened on the way home. So those are just a couple of the stories, man. I got so many, uh, but those are some, some of the ones that stand out. So changing gears here a little bit. You've been working as a TV color analyst for the Aces men's and women's home games. How does that change your perspective about the game and what goes into it to prepare for a game for you? Well, it's a lot less uh, stressful because, uh, you know, I coached at SLU from 2013 to 2016. I coached at St. Louis University. And so, you know, when, you, when you're dependent on 18 to 22-year-old kids to get rest and make shots in order to keep your job, um, it, it gets pretty stressful. Um as a color analyst, you know, I'm just calling the game. And whoever wins or loses, it's like, you know, that's why you guys, I had fun watching and calling the game. But <laughs> I don't think that, you know, I don't think people realize how much the good color, the good color commentators, like for every game that I watch, I watch the team that I'm about to watch. I watch at least, at least two, most of the time, three, maybe if I'm going to have a busy week at work and I can only squeeze in two, but usually at least three games, their prior three games leading up to the game. And I treat it almost like when I was a coach at SLU. Like, I do a whole scout. So when they hit, when they hit like, if the point guard enters the ball to the wing, and they're in a 1-4 high set, and they only run one play out of that set, I know it's coming. And so then I start to sound like Tony Romo. Like they're like, how did you know that was going to happen? Well, I literally scouted the play. I, I know, and I take my knowledge of as a player, I watch a lot of film, as a player to get prepared because I wasn't the most athletic. So I had to kind of know what my defender was going to do and um, how to defend as well. But I just kind of take, and then as a coach, I learned even more details of scouting. And so I think that's what's allowed me to be pretty good at that. You know, I, I did it for the one year and then that 
for University of Evansville and that following year, the Missouri Valley Conference hired me and I've been on their uh, analyst crew for the last three years now. And I don't think that would happen had I not been a coach because my they say like my knowledge of the game and uh, able to predict kind of what's going to happen when I'm calling a the game. They're like, man, that, you know, you're, you're really good at that. I'm not Nostradamus. I just study the game. You know, I, st- I, I, I literally do a scout. And so I know what play, what players are about to do, what they're about to do at the end of the shot clock, what they're looking for. If there was a game where they just got off a last second shot two games ago, I know who they're looking for, you know, and I, so come out of a timeout, I'm like, watch for me to go to this guy or this guy. And then they do it, and then it makes me look good. But it just takes a lot of work. You don't just show up and just start talking. You know, you just like you guys probably before coming into this interview, uh, you knew I played against South Bend Clay, uh, you know, for about the sectional championship. You don't just get on and start talking to people. So um, it just takes work, and people don't realize how much research and work it takes to make things sound good or make things look good. Uh, so I, I just put a lot of time into it because I'm passionate about it. We're all familiar with the turbulent season that the Purple Aces had last year on and off the court. Then after the season, two of their top players, John Hall and DeAndre Williams, transferred to other programs. What do you think would constitute a successful season for Coach Licklider's team? Effort. Effort, effort. I don't think anybody thinks this team is going to be very good right now. No offense to the guys. If I'm those guys right now and I hear this podcast – I'm using this as ammunition, and I hope they do. But I think, you know, when you lose a player like DeAndre, when you lose a versatile player like John Hall, um, and you're bringing in new players, you're probably going to start a new system. You've been kind of – you haven't been able to work on your new system because of what happened with COVID. Usually over the summer you're in the gym uh, working with the strength and conditioning coach and with the, with the coaches and learning the new system. They're, they're, they're behind the eight ball on that. And so I just remember there were times last year, um, especially after Walt left, uh, that those next few games before uh, Lick Rider came in, there were games where that's probably the only time I've been somewhat embarrassed of UE basketball. Not because they were losing. They were just getting out hustled. They were blaming each other, pointing fingers. And it was just like, man, this isn't what UE basketball is. Like, we can lose. I mean, I got my butt kicked a lot. As you said, like my first three years, we were just over 500 most years. Uh, but we, you know, I think the fans still knew that we were going to be diving on force to lose balls. We were going to be competing. Um, we were going to, you know, we were going to be competitive. And I think so this year, knowing how good Northern Iowa was going to be and Loyola and Southern supposed to be good and how much we lost. I don't think anyone has expectations of finishing in the top four. If he does, man, he should win coach of the year. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think the only thing that I would ask and that I'm looking for this year is teamwork where when guys fall on the ground, a teammate goes and helps them up. Uh, guys are trying to take charges. Um, guys are diving on the floor for loose balls. Um, when the leading scorer on the team has a bad game and the guy off the bench comes in and has 20, that the leading scorer is just as happy for him as if he was when he was scoring 20 himself. You know, I just want to see guys play like a team. Even if they lose, if they stick together and they run whatever system coach wants them to run, the following year it will come together. Guys will be one year older. They'll have a whole other year lifting weights. Uh, they'll be more familiar with the offense. They'll be just one year better. Um but I think this year is just a culture year, just getting the culture right, mm-hmm. uh, hard work, being a, 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 a team, and celebrating each other's success and working hard. And I think I, know I would, uh, and I would think most Aces fans would be happy to see that. So outside of calling games on TV, are you doing anything currently to stay involved with the game of basketball? Oh, yeah. So I like you guys, I, I do my own podcast. Um, I kind of took a little break here in the last – uh, a month and a half, two months, is because I had been going pretty strong there for a while. But I do that just to stay involved with coaches, just to kind of you know talk about the game. I'm also uh, recently been named a program director for Brad Bell Elite okay. and the Nike EYBL here in St. Louis. Right. So um, you know, just staying and just just getting involved more. Not really getting involved at the high school level, but obviously I am big with the with uh, being involved with the AU game. But, yeah, so just, you know, I love the game. I love being a part of it. Um, and so between my podcast and what I'm doing with Brad Bill Elite and my normal job as executive director of YMCA, you know, I am stay pretty busy. But, yeah, I, I try to stay connected how I can. 
So to wrap it up, a question for all of our guests. Uh, we typically ask, what is your favorite place to eat in Evansville, and what are you ordering? This is one of the easiest questions you're going to give me. <laughs> Rafferty's. I am a huge Rafferty's fan. All right. And every time I'm in town, I go to Rafferty's, uh, and I get a club sandwich. And if I'm with people, um, I get first I get the cheese fries for appetizers have the best cheese fries on the planet and then um, I, I and then I get the the ultimate club sandwich every once in a while me and my uh, my partner um, Kyle Peach will meet up early to kind of go over our notes and we'll go to Blue Burger because it's right there right next to the stadium but um, if it's my choice I'm hitting up Rafferty's all day every day all right coach well it's been uh, great getting to know you, and uh, it sounds like you could write a book about your experiences playing overseas and uh, probably even a movie deal out of it. <laughs> but we appreciate you coming Maybe on. Maybe I should. Before I leave, I do want to throw this out there. So I, I went and I did some research on your guys' podcast, and I know how you do the Mount Rushmore of each team. And I got to tell you, I appreciate you throwing me on there. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, um, no disrespect to one of these guys, but one of these guys got to go. Uh Rest in peace, Jerry Fulton. He was an all-time great. Don Boozy is an all-time great. Larry Humes has to be on that list. I remember I, I interviewed Larry Humes at halftime of a game, and it was one of the only times that I've been, you know, I play professionally. I know a lot of pros, and uh, I'm, I'm never in awe of anyone. Man, getting to talk to Larry Humes was a highlight for me because I remember getting there and just knowing so much about him and how good he was. When I got there, he was all-time getting scored. Now, as you all know, Colton. DJ passed up, Larry uh, and myself. But uh, Larry Humes, man, I mean, the, the dude averaged uh, like 30 points a game uh, and was just dominant. I've, I've seen and read some stuff about him, but he's an all-time great. But I just wanted to give you a little bit, mess with you a little bit about that. Um, uh, somebody asked me who, who's the all-time base player in, in Evansville history, and I said, if someone doesn't say Larry Humes, it's the wrong answer. That's my opinion, but that's how highly I think of Larry Humes. But next time you go over to Mount Rushmore, maybe look at Larry Humes' stats a little bit. I would love to see him on that. But I appreciate you guys giving me some love on that as well. All right, well, well we love the feedback, and you know, yeah. it's that's why it, it's a good discussion point. There's uh, all sorts of different opinions. So, again, yeah. yep. thanks for joining us, and uh, – Hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you as the season continues and maybe uh, get your perspective on what's going on in the regular season. Sounds good anytime, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, thanks a lot. And that was our interview with uh, Marcus Wilson. Uh, TJ, I'm just going to lay it out there first. Uh, He was held hostage. Yes. I mean, this is definitely – we've had some good interviews. For sure but might be the most interesting thing we've had on an interview. Yes. You know, I think the dude should write a book, just like I said in there. Like, you know, you know, or we could just start a book with all the guys that we bring on and have stories about when they played in Europe and overseas and stuff like that. Because, you know, that... And then the advice, like, don't propose at the Eiffel Tower because it's all downhill from there. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting that... You know, his one highlight wasn't getting the NCAA tournament, scoring 18 points in eight minutes. No, it's beating, at the time, Southwest Missouri State to clinch the conference title, stuff like that. And just, you know, kind of beat us to the question. The one time we asked him about what was different about that senior year, he's just like, what was us? He was us senior. We seniors, excuse me, took the lead. No, we're getting extra sprints in. We're playing longer. We're doing these things. We don't have to be here, but... You have to be here, yeah. Types of things. So it was just really interesting, you know. A lot of things I didn't expect. You know, we obviously we do our research and think we're going to know some things, but then you get stories like that. Oh yeah. Like you said, if I'm going to say if someone says, "Hey, I met Marcus Wilson," like, did he tell you the? Did he tell you story about the Ukraine? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and that's and that was like what we were talking about in the interview. I think I brought up the question that said, you know, so what was your favorite? Th- thing about being overseas like traveling when i says well i don't know if i really had a favorite because i didn't travel a whole lot but i'll give you a quick 30 second or short uh on a few summary things. on it and then you just kept going in detail i'm kind of glad he did because oh, it was yeah. very right that was you know it makes you know one of those unplanned things it just made it it was great you know and like you said 
uh, that was it's definitely going to stand out up there as one of the top interviews in terms of just entertainment and learning oh, yeah. things about him. And you know, I, I went in early about the winning a sectional in the state of Indiana, and obviously it's different for us being from Illinois. Winning a sectional in the single class system was a big deal. I mean, it was like you know. Not everybody expected to get to state, but if you could win your sectional, you did something significant that year. So that's why I like to talk about that because it's been, you know, on their uh, multi-class system since I think 1997 may have been the last year that they didn't have classes. So that's just a little bit of want to investigate Indiana basketball history on my part. But uh, so Marcus was nice enough to join us for our podcast, and he actually has his own podcast out there, TJ. Yeah, Details of Life with Marcus Wilson. So that's his podcast. We appreciate if you went out there and found some of his stuff. Like he said, he's talking to some coaches and just, you know, uh, staying close to the game that way. And he's uh, involved with the uh, what's called Bradley Beal Elite now, which, uh, you know, if we bring him back on, we could probably talk about kind of the EYBL and what that is and how the AAU circuit, so to speak, has kind of evolved in the past 20 or 30 years since he was in high school. Yeah. So go check out his podcast. I know he did a little research into our podcast because he – Mentioned uh, the Evansville yeah, called Mount me Rushmore out. for teaching. Called me out, <laughs> which is okay. I can live with that. I love the I love the feedback. I love the back and forth. So special thanks to Marcus for uh, joining the show this past week. Um, but to kind of wrap up the show here, TJ, I've been trying to get TJ to download Snapchat. You know, that's a very twenty twenty you know, social media platform and TJ refuses to, to download it just kind of drives me up a wall. I don't know why he won't do it. Says, well, you know, I'll just be on my phone even more like, well, then just decrease the amount of time that you've spent on other apps and enjoy the nice features of Snapchat. You know, that's not going to happen. You know, it will be just as much time on Twitter. I disagree. And then time on Snapchat, time on you know, texting. I don't even have Facebook on my phone. I have a Facebook account and I know I'm the old fart with Facebook still, but I don't have a Facebook account because I I saw a guy one time on his phone at a soccer game, a kid's soccer game and his daughter who wasn't playing is like, dad, dad, watch me do a cartwheel. He's like, yeah, sure. And he turns back around and he goes right back to his phone. I'm like, dude, you are probably watching someone else's kid (laughs) do cartwheels, but you won't even look at your kid and say, good job, honey, when she's trying to do one. Because you know you have to say good job no matter how terrible sure. the cartwheel is. And I mean, and that's just one of those things. And right about that time we got new phones, and it's like, you know what? Not putting it on there. And now I'm to the point because of all the politics that I haven't looked at Facebook for like three days because I'm like, as soon as I open it up, I'm going to get angry. See? No politics on Snapchat. Right. Well, for the most part. Right, for the most part. <laughs> Until I have to throw my phone across the room because some yay who says something idiotic. Well, you know, you can see a lot of other things like, you know, if I go out to a nice restaurant, I can send you a Snapchat of the food I'm eating. And you can do that with text, too. Yeah, but see, that, that's, that, that defeats the purpose. Texting is supposed to be for texting. Snapchats, pictures, and videos. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I just got Venmo. I mean, I'm, I'm barely in the 21st <laughs> century as it is. I just got Venmo like a month ago. I mean, I, I love it. It's great, you know, but... Yeah, that's like some people are like, yeah, you can PayPal me. No, I don't have PayPal. Why don't you get Venmo? PayPal's, you know, stone ages ago. How about yeah, we need to get it though where pay, not PayPal, gosh, you screwed me up here, but where Venmo, Apple Pay, and Cash App can pay each other. Yeah. I mean, we need to, come on, guys, let's figure this out. Did you know you can get a Venmo card? What do I need a Venmo card for? Well, in case, you know, you get a lot of money in your Venmo, maybe you win like a side bet with a friend. You just keep it in there and you just start paying with your Venmo card. Or I could put it in my account and use my debit card. (laughs) I could transfer that to the bank. Well, well, you could, but (laughs) maybe you don't want it all in there. You want to, you know, save this for a rainy day. You got me hiding money from my wife. Now you're going to get me divorced. (laughs) Oh, you got $9,000 in your Venmo account. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, Your Honor. She'd never know because your Venmo card won't swat, won't show up in the other transit. Yeah, that's what I need is to hide something. <laughs> 22 years of marriage, I get divorced because of my Venmo, Venmo card. <laughs> oh, but that'll uh, 
That'll wrap up the show uh, since TJ will not get Snapchat. Uh, you got any final thoughts here, TJ? Oh, just one day closer, like we talked about earlier in the in this show. Like we're just that much closer getting things rolling. Let's hope we can uh, get it off successfully. Yeah. Um, this past weekend was coaching baseball tournament, and I kid you not, I think uh, some of the players on my team and parents were more excited for the Missouri and LSU game than they were our game. Like I had players huddled around this phone in between games trying to see what was going to happen. And then all the parents were going nuts, like like loudest fans in the whole complex. It was like four or five games going on. And all of a sudden you hear about nine people start cheering. You would have thought Mizzou had just won the championship. Isn't that why you're wearing your Mizzou gear today? Well, I'm not even a Mizzou fan. I just wore it because it's a long sleeve shirt and I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes, I guess. Yeah. But they, they were so excited. I look over, I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, Mizzou just stopped LSU four times at the one yard line. I'm like, oh my gosh. They're, they won. And the whole drive to the to the tournament, I was telling my one of my coaches, Andy, I will bet you right now, Mizzou does not beat LSU. He goes, oh, no, I'm not going to take that bet, but they're going to win. I'm like, then why don't you bet me? He goes, no, 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 no I can't do that. <laughs> like, whatever. Glad he didn't accept it. And I, I bet lost. you as soon as, as soon as the game's over, oh, I should have bet you. Yep. Should have bet you. Yep. <laughs> That's what he said. Could have, would have, should have, buddy. <laughs> but that'll wrap up episode 21 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue the podcast with episode 22. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valley's Pod. And again, a special thanks to Marcus Wilson for joining the show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody. Everybody.